0: Hello, and welcome to the brand new Streets Blog Podcast. I'm Tanya Snyder, editor of Streets Blog Capitol Hill, based in Washington, D.C. I'll be talking with Jeff Wood, new media director and chief cartographer at Reconnecting America in Oakland, California. We'll be chatting about the news of the week, anything from the intersection of transportation, urban planning, and sustainable design that grabs our attention. Thanks for being with us for our very first podcast, and let us know what you think. Hey, Jeff.
1: Hey, Tanya. How's it going?
0: Good. How was your Halloween?
1: Uh, It was great. Lots of little kids in the neighborhood, and and lots of candy handed out, so we had a good time. You
0: have a good neighborhood for trick-or-treating, I assume?
1: I do. It's very walkable. The problem is is that there's a street probably about two blocks away that does the huge kind of party, and everybody goes there, and so they kind of neglect my street. But I gave out most of my candy, so I'm happy. We gave away
0: about half of our candy, so I'm happy, because I ate about four pieces this morning.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. As you get older, I think you want to like lessen your sugar intake to a certain extent. When I was younger, I think I wanted to keep more of the candy for myself. But now speak I'm for yourself.
0: It goes away. <laughs> um, the block, one block over, um, had a party for the first time. That was fun. We have a there's a block party in Mount Pleasant that we've been going to for years, but it's it's actually so popular now that it's just. It's just too crazy. I it's went so last popular, year. Nobody goes there anymore. <laughs> well, I'm not going there anymore. It's it's just a, <laughs> it's a bit much. Um, you highlighted this week some some interesting issues in your other side of the tracks slash direct transfer uh, article distribution that I wanted to I wanted to check in about. There's one especially that really caught my eye about regional planning and whether regional plans even matter.
1: Yeah, um, you know Mary Newsom who writes it the Naked City and also uh, has been working in Charlotte for a really long time. She kind of brings up the point of, you know, it it doesn't really matter if we're, when we go to these big planning meetings and we place the stickers where we want them to be and, uh, you know, where we think that density should be or where we think that planning should go. And um, it was kind of an interesting article from the standpoint of it got me thinking about, you know, does this actually matter and and who's actually done it right and who, who hasn't, you know, who hasn't actually gotten anything out of their plans. I think we have a lot of plans that, you know, get done and then, you know, have a huge process or, you know, faux process and then they get stuck on a shelf somewhere, so.
0: Yeah, she talked about how they get um, complicated, you know, people have this these ideals and ideas when they're doing a planning process, especially a, a public planning process with people who might not necessarily be uh, hip to all of the complexities, but then it gets mired in, tax issues and financing and zoning and legal requirements, you know, and all of these issues that that can just make those plans not even translatable to reality.
1: Right. And then you have the people who come to these meetings and they, they, and all those issues are real issues. And they just think that, you know, if, you know, they put the sticker on the place where they want something to happen, that it's just going to happen. And rather than all these other issues popping up, and then when it doesn't happen, they're upset and don't trust the government or the planning process itself, even though it's so complicated. So, it's a tricky kind of situation, I think, for most people um, who are in the planning, you know, realm and then outside of it as well.
0: Where do you, you mentioned a couple of places that have really done it right? And I guess you mean by that that they not only made a good plan, but that it kind of happened.
1: Yeah, they they followed through. You know. It, comes back to, you know, places like Portland with Lutrack back in the, uh, I think it was the 70s or 80s. Um, you know, they put together their centers plan and, and all the transit lines have come to pass. You know, Peter Calthorpe has, you know, some great, he's put together some great books and there's one called the Regional the regional city, which actually has some of the old plans like San Diego and and Portland that show what they were planning at the time. And and if you look at the map now, a lot of it's come, come true. So it's really interesting to see that. And they actually were really focused on that. Although, you know, they also have a regional government that can actually push this really hard, too. And the same goes for, you know, Salt Lake City with... Envision Utah and all the stuff that went with that. But that you know, they had people that actually put money behind it. So there's a lot of places that have, you know, done it right and they've gotten something out of it, but at the same time they've put effort and money into it, whereas some places, you know, they it's hard to get all the cities on the same page and places like you know, Austin had a had a process, Envision Central Texas and it was really good and it got people talking and it got these different cities in the region to talk, but at the same time there was really no money behind the effort to, you know, staff it and kind of keep people going and keep people engaged. So it, it uh, yeah, I don't think it was necessarily as successful as, say, the Envision Utah or the Lutrack Portland plan, but, you know, some of these things uh, go well, and some of them haven't gone well. And, and you know, the market, whether, right. you know, people want to put towers in, in or, you know, an urban-dense place in the middle of nowhere, you know, the market might not be there, and then the developer's going to ask for a lot of parking spaces and and money for for, for tax breaks and things like that, and then you kind of get, you know, it gets messy, so... Um, there's a whole ton of issues that happen.
0: Yeah. You know, this wasn't the central point of Mary Newsom's article, but I did find it really interesting that she mentioned um, in Charlotte that there had been a kind of a suburban-style 733-unit apartment building that was built.
1: Yeah, it felt a little bit out of the place of the regional planning, but it makes sense to a certain extent, yeah.
0: Right, and a a huge complex like this interrupts street connectivity and things like that. And it kind of caught my attention because I hear a lot of conflation between multifamily buildings, and especially really big ones like this one. You get all this density, and of course urbanists like that. Um, But there's a conflation between multifamily uh, residences and urbanism that I think – loses a lot of nuance, and I think that she kind of alluded to that, and it's just something I never see mentioned anywhere. Yeah. That, that you can have, you know, suburban apartment buildings where there's no ground floor anything, and there's huge seas of parking, and it interrupts this, this street continuity.
1: Yeah. The mass production of these huge apartment complexes that are just kind of onto themselves in the, you know, they, they buy a huge tract of land and then they build like, you know, building A, B, C, D, E, and F. Right. And then they're all at weird angles, you know, because they want, they don't want them to be like blocky or be looking at each other like it's a, an Eastern European style. Exactly. But they, but they have an opportunity to actually, you know, somebody has an opportunity to make a basic plan for these big behemoths that you know, go in that, you know, the developers are going to build them, but how do you build them to where they're, like, you know, going to fit into a larger walkable urban context? There might not be mixed use now, but at some point in the future, maybe there's space on the corner of, if you build a grid, there's space on the corner for, you know, a corner store or something in the future where you can build it, but you don't have to build it right away. But that design issue, especially when I, you know, when I lived in Texas, there was just so many, like, apartment complexes like that where there's like, six buildings. I mean, did you ever come across that?
0: Sure, absolutely. Yeah, my aunt lives in one in uh, in a fairly walkable neighborhood in uh, outside of Philadelphia. And there's a lot of that. I did a story recently about Arlington. And, you know, Arlington has a lot of density, and that's great. But some of it's like that, you know, that they're huge apartment buildings that are massively set back and there's parking and all of these kind of driveways in between um, the buildings and the street and then not even great pedestrian connectivity to, they're working on that at least, the pedestrian connectivity to the uh, nearby retail. But to switch topics, you, you posted something <laughs> else that I think is um, probably caught a lot of people's attention from Best Burger in Northwest London. Um, which is one of the best names for a blog I can think of.
1: <laughs> I can't tell if it's like the best burger, like a hamburger, or if it's the best burger as in somebody who lives in Northwest London. You know, a p- person.
0: Oh, I hadn't. Isn't that what the that.
1: definition of burger is? uh yeah. burger may refer to. I'm looking at Wikipedia right now. Uh-huh. Burger may refer to a citizen of a borough or town, although it's spelled like burger. Hunt for the elusive best burger. Oh, so okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's so it's so doubled though. I mean, it, it makes sense in both senses, but it's not. I don't know. I I definitely need to follow this guy though.
0: Yeah, well, it, it, it's very different if he's calling himself the best resident of Northwest London, especially now that he lives in Barcelona, which is what I wanted to mention, versus whether he's just looking for the best burger in London. Is he living in Barcelona? That's what he says in this post. Huh that that living in barcelona in a three bedroom apartment and flying every day although he only works he only goes to the office 4 days a week but flying 4 days a week for his commute into london is cheaper than renting a one bedroom apartment in london
1: yeah he does all the math and it's pretty st- pretty staggering. I mean, he has to deal with Ryanair, which apparently is like horrible if he if he was to do this flying um, thing. But yeah, that's crazy um, that such a, you know, such a difference between the two. I guess, you know, you could do that here. I mean, there's people actually that do that. They live in like Bend, Oregon. They fly to San Francisco fairly often. Wow. Uh, and I think a lot of them work for like tech companies. They can just kind of work remotely to a certain extent, but they have to come in for meetings and stuff. But I know a lot of people cheaper than living in San Francisco, though.
0: I know a lot of people from D.C. who, you know, have policy jobs that can only really exist in D.C. But at some point, they decide that they need to be near the mountains or near family or whatever, and they move away. Um, but they keep their D.C. job, and, uh, and they do it remotely. Um, but, you know, come in for meetings or, or lobby visits or whatever once in a while. But I wouldn't say that they commute, certainly not daily. I don't know anyone who flies daily. My God.
1: That sounds awful. Yeah.
0: <laughs> You're right, though. He doesn't he, – he was just pricing this out. I don't think he actually does it. But, you know, well, we – He's
1: the best burger in northwest London. So if he moved to Barcelona, he'd have to change his name.
0: I know, and he'd have a lot of work to do to find the best burger in Barcelona. Um, But, I mean, I feel like smart growth advocates were pretty down on the idea of drive till you qualify. We certainly don't like to fly till you qualify. Um, The idea of going farther and farther away and buying yourself a longer and longer commute, you know, so that you can have more space. And he goes to a whole different country. This is kind of, and in a big city, you know, in a world-class city.
1: Yeah, and it, and you know, I mean, what he's trying to do though is trying to look at you know where he can get a little bit more space. I mean, he's he's he priced out for you know his he has I guess he lives in a one bedroom in in London, and he priced out for a three bedroom place in Barcelona that he can actually fly in and out every day. Now, you know, obviously he he would have to like spend four hours a day on a plane or whatever, but or, and getting to and from the airport and all that. But you know, it kind of speaks to you know people's kind of wanting a little bit more space uh in these very urban areas which are getting really, really expensive. I mean, um, in my neighborhood in, in San Francisco it's getting a little bit ridiculous <laughs> in terms of what people are willing to pay for uh, four thousand dollars for a two bedroom, you know, apartment isn't
0: yeah, really sustainable
1: for most people. So it's kinda crazy.
0: Yeah, greater, greater Washington right now is actually collecting stories uh, from people in D.C. who are priced out of walkable neighborhoods because we're going through all these zoning hearings uh, for the rezoning of of the city and and, uh, kind of trying to collect those stories to convince the council that we need more density.
1: Yeah, to give more people opportunities. There's not enough of them. We need more, more opportunity to live in great places. That's why it's so expensive because more people want to live there.
0: Yeah, but it's hard to it's hard to know kind of at what at what point the supply and demand will equal each other, and if the demand will just grow with greater affordability. You know, maybe affordability is just a kind of a, something that we'll keep chasing and never quite reach.
1: I don't know. I think it's actually possible. I think that there's a lot of um, factors going against it. I mean, there's people who own homes who want them to be their investment vehicle, right? And they want their them to appreciate, and so obviously they're gonna. Care more about their home values than they do about the future of their neighborhood or their, you know, city. But I think you know if you look at places like Seattle, they've really gone nuts on their condos, and and they actually drove prices down a little bit um, recently by building a lot. So I think you know it kind of proves to a certain extent that it's doable.
0: Yeah. So should we talk about Rick Scott or should we talk about the fantasy map of Pittsburgh?
1: Um, well, the fantasy map would make me happier, but I think we should probably talk about Rick Scott. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Well, first,
0: let's talk about the transit map, if it's going to make you happy.
1: Okay, that's good. For me, I mean, I've drawn fantasy maps myself, and I have, know a lot of people who like to do that. But um, I think, for me, obviously, when I do it, it's something that I do just because I think it's fun. But also, I think we're not imaginative enough in our kind of long-term thinking. So if you draw this big fantasy map, somebody's always going to chime in. And I think somebody, you know, probably has chimed on on this one that says, oh, well, that's not doable, so we shouldn't even think about it, which is kind of not the point. The point is to kind of get people thinking about what might be possible if they, you know, had enough money or if they wanted to actually make something happen. It, it could be a long-term vision. It could be, you know, something that happens, you know, before they're they're gone. But um, I think that it's something that needs to happen just from my my hopeful <laughs> side um, in, in most places, to kind of get people thinking about what's possible. Now, it could And be the guy thing.
0: who made this even responded to the question of whether it was feasible with just saying that's not even the point.
1: Exactly. The point is he, to start
0: conversations, you exactly, said.
1: Exactly, exactly, and I think that he's done a good job at that. Um, have you ever have you ever thought about drawing fantasy maps, Tanya?
0: You know, I I, th- I think I've um, drawn some in my head, maybe more for bike networks.
1: No, oh, we'll see that. You know, fantasy maps can be in any you know, but you can be bus networks, bikes.
0: Sure, um, your you know job title is chief cartographer, <laughs> and mine <my> never <laughs> has been and never will be. So not exactly, but but I certainly um, after enough time in my city have have my own ideas of where things should go.
1: What's your number one route that you would have done in a second if you could if you could have it?
0: Massachusetts Avenue needs a bike lane, needs a protected bike lane Before we had good bike infrastructure, I mean now, instead of taking Massachusetts Avenue, you can from Northwest to Capitol Hill say, you know, you can do the L instead of the diagonal, but you can be on bike lanes the whole way. You can take fifteenth street to to Pennsylvania, and that's you know you're on some of the city's best bike infrastructure. But Massachusetts Avenue, I, I did that bike ride for years and took my life into my hands every day for years and felt like, felt like I was doing something great for my city by riding a bike instead of driving a car. And this was what my city was giving back to me was danger and fear and, and discomfort.
1: So Mike Lydon, um, always says that there's, you know, I guess three different types of riders. What, what, What type of writer are you? Are you the kind of the the confident writer, or are you the the timid writer, or or
0: concerned but interested?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's there's three kinds. I can't remember the names of them right now, but
0: Um, I thought there were four. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. Interested but concerned. Strong and fearless. Enthused and confident. Interested but concerned. And no way, no how. Uh huh. I'm enthused and confident. Um, but there are definitely a lot of things that, that uh, erode my confidence. Yeah. You know, I get a lot less confident riding bikes I'm not used to.
1: Oh, like um, like bike share?
0: Well, not so much. Bike bike share is kind of the lowest common denominator, although I don't love it. I don't love riding. I like riding my bike, or bikes very much like my bike. Um, you know, I'm used to hybrids, and road bikes kind of freak me out, <laughs> like just yeah. the different posture and a, such a lighter bike and sitting in a different way. Um, I'm so short that most bikes are too big for me, so I'm usually not sort of bent over the handlebars anyway.
1: Right. Are you scared of the power that you'd create if you had a faster bike?
0: You know, <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I, I actually made it my New Year's resolution in 2011 to to get confident riding a road bike, and then I got pregnant, yeah. <laughs> and then it didn't happen. Right. Um, how about 20- you, are you? Funny, I mean,
1: I, I, well, so I grew up in a, in a suburb of Houston where we had about 77 or 80 miles of, of bike trails that went through the woods that didn't touch streets. And you could get from one side, you know, seven miles from one side of the, you know, development to the other. They had designed it so that, you know, they had these green belts that went behind houses uh, instead of in the streets. So you could get anywhere. So I was like really, you know, I was into biking when I was a kid and biked to school, you know, when I was in middle school and all that. And then you know, I kind of stopped when I, I I did a little bit in college too, uh, mostly took the bus. But um, when I got here, I, I think I was in that interested and concerned category, but then they started doing bike lanes and and they started, you know, making things a bit safer. And I think I got more, you know, uh, interested in that. And well, then I sold my car and so I didn't have a choice sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I think I've moved into the enthused and confident, but I definitely started out with the interested and concerned. And I think that my experience is one that I think a lot more people could have if we actually had real, you know, bike infrastructure in every, everywhere because I think it has made a difference. It makes me want to go ride when I can ride down the panhandle and there's actually a, a green bi- bicycle light rather than just a green light, you know, on the way. So.
0: I yeah, I cool. think that that's the interested but concerned category, and that's 60% of riders, at least in Portland when this, was, when this survey was done that category I think is the challenge to planners. It's saying that, you know, these are this is a huge percentage of your population that's interested in bicycling, but you haven't yet made the infrastructure feel safe enough that they because it's not interested, but thinks it's too much of a pain and doesn't want to ride in the rain. It's yep. interested but concerned. You know, there are places in Portland certainly is one of them that is, you know, on the forefront of addressing those concerns, but still there are a lot of people. I think there are probably a lot of people also who just don't trust their own ability to kind of stay upright on a bike. They haven't done right. it for long enough, or there, or at all. Um, so some of the concern might just be kind of their own confidence riding.
1: Right. I know a couple of people like that. Yeah. Where they learn to ride with a little bit later on in life, and so they're not as don't feel as comfortable with it.
0: I learned to ride in college. Yeah. I see. Yeah, no, and I'm, so I'm good though. Yeah. the from the very first summer that someone lent me a bike and said, Here, learn to ride it. It's pathetic, you don't know how to ride a bike. <laughs> and then that summer I rode that bike that she lent me eight miles every day to work.
1: They just threw you in the deep end, huh?
0: They did. It's true. <laughs> but I'm so glad she did. I'm grateful to her. Okay, Rick Scott. Okay. So we didn't cover this on Street's blog because my, my feeling was it's, it's hearsay, it's kind of he said, she said. I'll wait and, and hear if there's confirmation. But this, this former state senator, Paula Dockery, is saying that Governor Rick Scott, just days before he, he sent the uh, high-speed rail money back to the federal government, promised her he was going to keep it and promised her that he was going to sink the Sunrail plan and then he decided to, to go forward with that. So he did really the opposite of what he told her just days before that he was going to do. Um, you know, we don't know if that's true. This is one person saying it years later. But assuming it's true, what do you think happened there?
1: Oh, I think he got a lot of pressure from the Tea Partiers and the, and the other governors. They said, you have to stand with us. And, and in, the, in the article it says he basically didn't want to let Obama win, which I don't know what winning means. But that's Paula uh, Dockery uh,
0: saying that that's what she thinks it was.
1: Yeah, I know, but I th- I feel like at the time I I don't know, you know I don't know if you can place yourself at that kind of point in time when this actually happened, but mm-hmm. it, there was a lot of animosity between the R's and D's. Not like there isn't all the time, but
0: right. I was going to say, oh, I I can't even remember what that would feel like.
1: <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's it's a lot all the time, and and but but at the same time, this was kind. Of, this is a big deal. I mean, there's a you know there's a I think. Wendell Cox even wrote him a report saying, like, you should not have this and it's going to be horrible and, you know.
0: And that report has come in for a lot of criticism as well.
1: Well, all of, the, all of their reports come in for lots of criticism. Well, but, just, but, but yeah. the
0: fact that, that, that a, a governor making a real policy decision about transportation infrastructure that already had money behind it and that was going to help real people, that, that a, an important yes or no decision on that was based on poor data and poor research.
1: Yeah, but it happens all the time, and we make decisions like that for stuff we like, too. And so I think he actually believed, you know, what he was doing. You know, something switched in his mind, and and he sent it back, and Ray LaHood wasn't very happy, but... Um, He did it now. I guess he's not a very popular politician in Florida. So people are going to, you're coming out with the axes. I think this is kind of one of those things in politics that happens is when, when you're strong, people are just going to sit back and keep what they got, they got on you in their pockets. And then when, when you get weak, they come out with the axes. And and if you're, you know, if you're halfway chopped down on a tree, you're going to get the whole, the whole business.
0: Like Rob Ford
1: yeah like This Rob is a Ford.
0: really good time. Anybody who has anything on Rob Ford, you know what the consequences are low.
1: Right, exactly, because once you find the, the mayor with you know smoking crack video, uh then you know
0: and like sneaking out of his mom's house, jeez. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can't believe all that madness i can't believe I can't believe the mayor of a major North American city would would be in this kind of dire street that he's in.
0: Well, I live in Washington, D.C., and our mayors have been in very, very, very similar dire streets.
1: I guess I guess so. I hadn't thought about that.
0: Yeah. So, DC you know, for us, it's, it's sort of par for the course. It's kind of the way we roll. But, yeah, you know, Toronto, they expect better.
1: Well, I think they deserve better. Most cities do.
0: Jeff, it was great to talk to you.
1: It was great to chat with you as well, and I hope we get to do this uh, every week.
0: That sounds great.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, should we have a better sign-off?
1: Um, probably, but happy trails.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's nice. All right. Happy trails, Jeff.
1: Happy trails, Tanya.